All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you all here. Uh, we are, uh, my name is Brent, by the way, if I don't know you. I think I know almost everybody, but I'm Brent. Nice to meet everybody. Well, uh, see everybody. I haven't met you really. I just, why don't we just read the Bible, okay? So, <laughs> First Peter chapter 2. Uh, let's stand for the reading of God's word. This is First Peter chapter 2. We're uh, going to be reading 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, Fear God, honor the emperor. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, today we're going to continue our series in the book of 1 Peter. And uh, as you remember that Peter addresses his letter to exiles. When he says exiles, this is not uh, uh, literal. This is metaphorical. Uh, these are not people that are literally uh, away from their homeland. Um, all of us are exiles if we're Christian. So uh, to be in exile is to, to believe that this world is not our home. Our citizenship is somewhere else. Our values are somewhere else. Our identity is somewhere else. We belong to God. And so uh, Peter says we are resident aliens. The question is, how should we then live in the world? As exiles, how do we live in the world? And so today we're going we're gonna, to uh, hit a new topic. We, uh, we're going to look again at uh, how does... Christian, how do Christians relate to politics? How do Christians relate to politics? As Sam started this uh, topic last week, we're going to hit it one more time. So this is Christianity and Politics Part 2. And somebody might say, Britt, why, why are we talking about this? You know, some of, some of us might get really nervous whenever we, uh, when Christians begin to talk about uh, politics. You know, some of you may be skeptical of me. You know, Brent's up here. He's going to start, you know, pushing his views on me. He's going to start to try to convince me to believe the way he believes about politics. I don't want to do that. Many of us get skeptical when politicians begin to talk about religion. A story is told of uh, a Republican and a Democrat, and they're eating dinner together. And uh, the Republican says something about his faith and how, you know, faith is important to him. And the Democrat says, well, faith is really important to me, too. He says, I'm a very devout Christian. And the Republican was very skeptical, so he says, you know what, let's make a bet. I'll give you $20 if you can recite the Lord's Prayer. And the Democrat says, well, you're on. And so they close their eyes and they pray before their meal. And the Democrat begins, now I lay me down to sleep. I prayed the Lord my soul to keep, amen. And the, the Democrat, after, or the Republican looks at the Democrat and he says, wow, that was amazing. Here's your 20 bucks. I didn't, couldn't believe that you actually know the Lord's Prayer. A lot of us are skeptical when we mix faith and politics. So why are we doing this? Well, we're doing another sermon on this because the Bible mixes faith and politics. So one of the benefits of reading the Bible verse by verse is that you hit verses that you may not preach on normally. And so going through 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, Peter begins to talk about politics. So when the Bible speaks on politics, when the Bible... Uh, Mixing faith and politics, well, then we need to follow the Bible where it leads us. Another reason why we should talk about politics as Christians is because 
this year especially, we're in an election year. And so guess what? We're all talking about it anyway. And all of us are thinking about and arguing about and, and talking about politics. And so why not do it in church? Why not think about what the Bible has to tell us about this matter? Another reason why we should talk about politics as Christians is because the way Christians engage in politics is crucial. It's crucial to our witness in the world. The unbelieving world is watching. And the way we engage in politics makes a huge difference. Sam quoted a book last week. It's called Unchristian. In this book, uh, the authors explored why so many young people are leaving the church. And one of the top reasons why young people are abandoning Christianity, he said, is because the church has become, they said, too political. Too political. And this is the way the, uh, the author explains their, their side. He says, many outsiders believe Christians have a right or even an obligation to pursue political involvement, but they disagree with our methods and attitudes. They say we seem to be pursuing an agenda that benefits only ourselves. They assert that we expect too, expect too much out of politics. They question whether we are motivated by our economic status rather than faith perspectives when we support conservative politics. They claim we act and say things in an unchristian manner. They wonder whether Jesus would use political power as we do. Now, you may say this is not fair, but this, the question still remains. I mean, if this is not the way to do it, then what is, how should we engage in politics? What is our role in politics? How should Christians relate to the political arena? It's crucial for our witness. It makes a huge difference, and so we're going to talk about it today. And actually, that's the point that Peter makes in the verses here. He talks about politics mainly because as exiles, he says, the way you engage politically makes a huge difference on the way you are perceived by outsiders. You want to have a good witness. You want to bring honor to the name of Jesus. You want to be attractive and compelling. And the way you engage makes all the difference. And so we're going to get into this. I want to make a couple caveats, though. So first, um, I want to just let you know, I am not, I'm probably the least qualified person to talk about this. I, I didn't major in politics ever. Uh, I'm actually a theology major. I know a lot about the Bible. I minored in surfing, so I know a lot about that, too. But I don't know much about po politics. And so um, I'm going to really be relying on what Peter says here. I also want to say that I'm not going to answer all of your questions. The politics is notoriously complex. And no doubt some of you are going to say, well, Brent didn't talk about this, or why did he leave out that, or he didn't touch on that. Well, I'm going to leave out all sorts of things today. Because what I want to do is I want to look at what Peter says here. And I think Peter essentially makes two basic points. Two points. After he uh, talks about politics, at the very end, he makes this concluding statement in verse eight, 17. He says, uh, honor everyone. Chapter 2, verse 17, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is a summary statement. And here what Peter does is he laid, lays down two governing principles. He gives us two warnings, two dangers that are involved in it when we engage in politics. And he says, really, when you engage politically, you're walking a narrow tightrope, and you want to avoid two extremes. We're going to look at those two things here today. The first extreme here is this. If you're taking notes, uh, Peter wants us to avoid, number one, political complacency. 
political complacency or thinking too little of politics. Notice what he says here. At the very end, he tells these people, honor the emperor. Honor the emperor. And this word honor here is a really important word. It means to give weight to. Uh, It means to recognize the legitimate authority of. Um, In another place, uh, when Paul quotes the Old Testament, this same word is used of honor your father and mother. And so it means to recognize as a legit authority. Acknowledge the emperor. Honor the emperor. Now, the reason why Peter does this is because I think his readers were probably in danger of not honoring the emperor. And if you know anything about that current political climate, who was the emperor at this time? Anybody know? Caesar Nero. Caesar Nero was a notoriously horrible ruler. One historian said Nero was a perverted madman, eventually hated by the Romans themselves. He had mercilessly tortured and killed hundreds of Christians in various cruel and demeaning ways. And so no doubt these Christians were probably like, well, who cares about the emperor? He's a pagan. He's horrible. And not only that, we're exiles. Our home is, our citizenship is somewhere else. Our home is somewhere else. Why should we care about the emperor? And so they were in danger of withdrawal. They were in danger of just sort of checking out and doing their own thing. And Peter says, don't do that. He says, I want you to give honor to the emperor. Yes, I know he's Nero but I want you to recognize his legitimate authority. Now, the reason why he says this is because of what the rest of the Bible says about government or about politics. Uh, The scripture's view of the uh, secular governing authorities is that they are legitimate, God-given gifts to humanity for the common good. And so in Romans chapter 13, this verse is going to come up on the screen. Notice what Paul says about it. He says, uh, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, Why? For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Did you see what he said there? Those authorities that exist, the powers that be, have been instituted by God. Now, this doesn't mean that God approves of every emperor. He certainly didn't approve of Nero. It doesn't mean that every emperor is doing the right thing or following God or implementing good policy. It simply means that government itself is a legitimate authority given to us by God for the common good. And so Peter says, as Christians, you ought to recognize, give weight to, honor the powers that be. Now, somebody says, well, what does it mean to honor the powers that be? That's great. Sure, we recognize them as legit, but what does it mean for me as an American to honor the governing and political authorities? What does it look like in our context? Well, it's going to look different in our context than their context because they lived under a totalitarian you know, domineering uh, imperial rule. We live in a democracy. But let me give you some, some, suge- some uh, suggestions about how we might, in our situation, do what Peter is asking us to do here. To honor the political uh, authorities, I think it, it might simply mean to engage the political process. Um, as Christians, I mean, recognizing that, that government and political things are legit, it simply means that we at least in a democracy should engage in the political process. Vote. Educate yourself on the issues. Uh, Care about them. Get involved. Because you can. Uh, You know, as as a pastor, um, I can often turn inward and think, you know, just about my own small uh, religious world. You know, I'm involved in 
preaching the gospel and making disciples. Why should I care about politics out there? Well, because God tells me to engage, and so I should vote, and I should educate myself and be involved. I shouldn't get cynical and think, oh, they're all crooks anyway. It's all corrupt. Why should I care? Peter says, I want you to care. In the Bible, there's actually several uh, people that you see getting involved in politics. So you've got Daniel in the Old Testament who was involved in government in uh, Babylon. There was Joseph who was uh, in the higher-ups in the Egyptian rule. There was Esther who was involved in uh, government in, in the Persian Empire. And so there's precedent for that. And not every ruler is a crook. I was listening to an interview this past week with Condoleezza Rice. She was at a church, Menlo Park, uh, being interviewed by a pastor. And honestly, her testimony about why she was involved was compelling. She said, when I was a little girl, I grew up in Birmingham in, in the South. And she said, our church was bombed. And she said, I still remember the names of the two little girls that were killed. And she, she said, my faith propelled me into the political world because I wanted to make a difference. And then at one point, um, she said, during 9-11, uh, she said, that was one of the most trying times of my career. She was Secretary of State. And uh, John Ortberg, he said, well, what was so trying about it? And she said, she said, I felt fearful. I felt anxious. I felt sad. And she said, I felt regret and guilt. And he said, well, why regret and guilt? And she said, because I, I was Secretary of State. And she said, I felt like I had let the American people down. You know, I felt like I wasn't doing my job, and you could just hear her heart there. Like, she cared. She cared, and that propelled her to engage. And so we should engage the political process. Here's another way that we could honor the, uh, the rulers, the uh, government authorities, is we should respect them, plain and simple. To honor means to respect even the candidate that you disagree with. Um, Scott Sauls has, has a great quote. He says, uh, if you're on social media or watching the news for more than, any, more than 12 seconds, you're sure to spot some sort of rant about a political figure. It has become our habit to mock and insult those authority figures we disagree with. While we can and should feel strongly about different political and social issues, as Christians, we're called to respond to authority with respect. Rather than bucking the system, sticking it to the man, insulting and despairing, Christians are taught in the Bible, to respond to authority with honor. What might it look like for us to respond to the authorities that we disagree with with honor? When everybody else is mocking and uh, disparaging and dishonoring our, the political leaders, what would it look like for us as Christians to respect them, at least for their office? In uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, Paul says this, first of all, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life, godly and dignified in every way. Paul says, I want you to pray for the leaders that are over you. I want you to root for them. I want you to support them and, and, and bring them before God continually. You say, well, I can't do that. I don't agree with the political leaders. I don't like them. Why should I pray for them? Well, listen, Paul says this probably days before he was executed by the very leaders he's telling his people to pray for. So we can respect the leaders that are above us. 
That's one way we could honor them. Uh, John Wesley, there was a very contentious election in 1774. He's the leader of the Methodist Church. And uh, he was talking to voters uh, that were going to vote in this election. And he says, here's Christians. Let me give you three pieces of advice. Here's what he said. He said, number one, vote. I want you to vote for the person that you judge most worthy. Number two, he says, speak no evil of the person that you voted against. So after you vote and your candidate didn't get elected, I don't want you to go speak any evil against the person that you didn't vote for. Number three, take care that your spirits are not sharpened against those that voted for the other side. What good advice. I mean, imagine if we did this. If we were just people who are, as Christians, we honored and respected all leaders above us, prayed for them and rooted for them. Let me give you another way we could honor. I think another thing we can do is simply to work for the common good. The only way uh, to, to be involved in the political process isn't just voting. There are lots of other things that we can do to support and honor uh, the state and the, the powers that be out there. Uh, you can work for the common good. You can get involved in activism, not slacktivism, where you're just putting things out there on Facebook, but activism. Organize, go out and serve at our Father's table. Go and, is there a cause that you care about? Is there something that when you look in the world and you see something's wrong, is there something you go out and do to, to make a difference? This is another way we could show honor to our authorities. We could cooperate and collaborate and find common ground and work for the common good, even with leaders that we maybe disagree with. A great example of this is a uh, there's a guy I knew, his name was uh, Scott Jones. He lived back in Los Angeles, where I'm from, and we lived in a little community called Long Beach. Scott wanted to engage. He wanted to honor the, the powers that be and honor the city, and so he was just asking the question, what can I do as a Christian? Well, Scott made a decision to go visit the mayor of Long Beach. Went to the mayor, and he sat down with him, and at first the mayor was skeptical. He thought Scott was just another Christian, you know, lobbying for his own personal agenda, but Scott sat down and he says, you know, Mr. Mayor, I want to know what you care about. Just tell me what you care about. What, when you look at the city, Mr. Mayor, what do you see as the greatest problems? And the mayor was, after he got over the initial shock, he said, well, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's gang violence in Long Beach, and, and that, that's a big concern that I have. And there's uh, racial division in the city where the races are not get, getting along. Long Beach was a very uh, racially diverse city. And he said, and, there were, and, and on top of that, he says, neighbors don't, get, don't even know each other. He says, we all live in our own individual house, and nobody's getting together to even think collectively about it. And so Scott, wanting to work for the common good, he wanting to engage, he decided to start a program called We Love Long Beach. He threw parties in neighborhoods in the city. He just got people together. They had pan pancake breakfasts. They started neighborhood watch programs. And he just gets people together. Because he cares about the common good. And this is his way to, to contribute, to honor the powers that be. See, as Christians, we could turn inward and just care about our own little lives, worry about our own small little agendas, or we could look out and say, what, what plagues the city? Because you remember in Jeremiah 29, to the exiles in Babylon, Jeremiah says, I don't want you to turn inward and withdraw. He says, I want you to pray for the city where I've put you. Because when the city prospers, you prosper. Don't just work for a bigger church or a better church. Work for a better city. 
And so maybe there's some of you here today, this first point is hitting you. you don't, you're like, I, I don't vote, I don't really care, I'm kind of involved in my own little life. Paul is saying, or Peter is saying, uh, I want you to engage, look outward, care about this world, this world. Government matters, people matter, politics matter. Do not fall prey to the first political danger, which is political complacency. Well, there's another danger. This is the second point. And maybe, maybe your problem isn't that you're too complacent. Maybe you're somebody who loves politics. You're engaged, you vote, you're, you're already educated on the issues, and you're really involved, and you really care. Well, there might be another danger on the other side that you might struggle with, and Peter wants to warn you about that as well. You might be in danger of something called political idolatry or thinking too much of, of politics. One side is giving too little weight to politics. The other side gives way too much weight to the powers that be. Notice what Peter says here. This is down in his summary statement. He says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood. Then he says, fear God, honor the emperor. Fear God, honor the emperor. And this is so, this little statement is so crucial. Because what Peter is saying is he's saying this, I want you to honor the powers that be, I want you to engage in the powers that be, I want you to care about what goes on in the political realm, you know, engage in civic responsibility, do all the things to honor, but I never, ever, ever want you to worship. Oh, they're important, but you must never give politics or the state a place of ultimacy, because that's political idolatry. This is so important to the people that uh, Peter was writing to because in, in the Roman Empire, the way it was is, is they, they had something called the Pax Romana. So like Rome was a superpower of that day and, and they conquered literally almost the entire known world at that time. And whenever they conquered a little nation state, they had the Pax Romana, which, is called, which was the Roman peace. And they said, listen, we're, we're, a, we're a tolerant empire. You know, sure, we, we've conquered you, but you could still practice your culture. You could still practice your religion. Go honor any god that you want to, whether it's Isis or Yahweh or whatever. Go ahead and, and, and honor any god that you want. But you must give Caesar your ultimate allegiance. On the Jewish temple, for example, they were allowed to worship in that temple. Rome didn't tear it down. They just put Caesar's emblem on it. Go ahead and practice your religion, but Caesar must be Lord. Christians came along, and they made the very subversive statement that Jesus Christ is Lord. Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And so when uh, the Roman Empire says you must worship Caesar and give ultimacy to Caesar, the Christians said no, and this ultimately led to them being persecuted. Now, in their day, it was pretty easy to know when they were committing political idolatry. If you bowed down to the emperor, you were doing it. But how do you know that you're committing political idolatry? In our day, how do we know that we're falling prey to this danger? Well, let me think about some things uh, about uh, how this might work out in our situation. You might be in danger of political idolatry when you look at your obedience. We're supposed to honor the state, but we should never give the state our ultimate obedience. And Sam talked about this a little bit la last week. Uh, we must obey the laws of the land as long as those laws do not contradict God's laws. 
as soon as the state commands what God forbids or forbids what God commands, then we are obligated to engage in civil disobedience. We must obey God rather than man. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, wrote his letter to, in Birmingham jail, and he uh, talked about just laws and unjust laws. He says a just law agrees with natural law. You're obligated to obey that law. An unjust law is a law that, dis that is different than God's law, and you are obligated in that case to disobey that law. You must engage in civil disobedience. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. said you must always balance Romans 13, which says obey the, the authorities, to Revelation 13, which talks about resisting Babylon when the, author when the authorities become corrupt or demand ultimate worship. And so we should not be so beholden to political power that, we're, that we are afraid to resist or disobey or speak truth to power when we need to do that. Here's another way you can uh, commit political idolatry. It's when you give your ultimate allegiance either to an ideology or a political party. I don't give allegiance to a, my ultimate allegiance to a political party. No, no, I don't. Jesus is the only one I worship. Well, are you sure about that? Remember a couple weeks ago, I talked about an African-American boy who grew up in a, in a home where he just was taught that if you're a Christian, you vote Democrat. To be a Christian is to be a Democrat, and to be a Democrat is to be a Christian. He couldn't imagine a Christian voting any differently. And then he grew up, and he went, went away to a seminary where it was mostly white kids. And he, he says, I found that most of my white friends grew up thinking the exact opposite, that to be a Christian was to be a Republican. And to be a Republican is to be a Christian. He, they couldn't imagine being a Christian and voting Democrat. And so the interviewer asked this African-American guy, like, well, how, how do you vote now? And he said, it's very complicated. If you're a Christian, voting should be very complicated because your allegiance isn't to a party or an ideology, but to Jesus. In the Old Testament, Joshua was confronted by the captain of the Lord's army who was kind of the, uh, an image of God himself, and he was about to go into battle, and he saw the captain of the Lord's army, and he says, well, whose side are you on? Are you on their side or our side? Are you Republican or, Republican or a Democrat? And the captain of the Lord's army, who is Jesus, said, no. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Sometimes Jesus looks like a left-leaning person. He cares about the poor. He's out there for the marginalized. Other times, he's got a very stringent sexual ethic. To be a Christian and to give your allegiance to Jesus Christ makes voting very complicated. Here's a really good question. You think, well, I don't give my ultimate allegiance to a party. Here's a great question. Scott Sauls asked this question. Um, it's going to come up on the screen here. He says, ask yourself this. For whom do I feel greater affection? With whom do I feel most kindred? People who agree with my politics but don't share my faith or people who share my faith but don't agree with my politics? Do you find it difficult to get really close to a Christian brother or sister who's part of a different political party? If that's very difficult for you, then you might be putting too much weight on politics. Here, here's, another, here's another thing that might happen. Look at your, 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 your strongest emotions, your deepest, strongest emotions. Uh, you know, we, we always talk about how uh, you never talk about religion and politics because at the dinner table, because people feel so strongly and so viscerally about both of those topics. There's a reason. It's because when you 
are worshiping politics, it gets into your emotions. In fact, everybody worships. Everybody has something or some, someone or something that they worship. Nobody not worships. Everybody does. And how do you know if you've got an idol in your life? Well, follow your strongest emotions. If you're always angry and fearful and frustrated about money, well, chances are money is your God. If you can't sleep at night because of your career and, and getting a demotion or getting ahead, if that's just racking you and depressing you and, and just destroying your emotions, chances are your career has become a God. And if politics keeps you up at night, if you cannot stand a person who voted for somebody that you disagree with, chances are politics might be an idol for you. Now, I'm not saying that we should never get mad or angry and justice should make us angry. There are reasons to feel strongly about politics. But listen, we should never be too devastated. We should never be too elated when it comes to elections. Because although they are important, we should honor the king and we should engage in care. We should never give those things ultimate authority. Here, let me give you another one. This is the final one. Also look at your ultimate hopes. Another way you can tell if politics is too important for you is, is are you hoping in them too much? Many Christians can think if we only get this judge in the Supreme Court, then everything will be right with the world. Oh, if we could only get this person elected, well, then, oh, the kingdom will come on earth and everything will be right. Everything will be set right. Oh, if we could only get these laws passed, well, then everything would be right with the world. Listen, there is only one Messiah, and that's Jesus Christ. There is no American political candidate who is your savior, who is your Messiah. Sometimes what we can do as Christians is we can conflate the, our own nation with the kingdom of God. That the future of the American democracy is somehow linked to the future of the kingdom of God. I was listening to, I was in um, the line at Freddy's the other day, and I, it was a long line, so I was listening to a, uh, a debate about politics on Christian radio. And there was one uh, pastor, Kenneth Copeland, he's a health and wealth, prosperity guy, made a lot of money, televangelist type. And he was on there, and he was doing this kind of conflating, you know, America as a democracy to the kingdom of God. And, oh, if, if America doesn't, you know, make it, then, boy, we're, we're really in trouble, and I don't know, and what do we do? And he says, but there's a candidate. Oh, there's a candidate out there that if you vote for this candidate, oh, we'll be saved. And he says, listen, I'm being very serious here. He says, I'm, I'm going to go so far as to say that if you don't vote for this candidate, you are in sin. He said, God's following you into that that." Ballot, ballot booth and he's watching and if you don't vote for this candidate I fear your eternal soul you think he's making too much of politics there let me tell you the truth every system in this world is broken this world has been broken by sin and that involves the political system and there is no form of government that will save this world. Only Jesus can do that. And so as soon as you put your hopes in politics, your ultimate hopes in politics, you're setting yourself up to be disappointed. Here's the good news. 
is that there is a, there is a king and there's, you know, all of us long, I think one of the reasons why we think, we think politics is so crucial is because we do long for a leader. We do long for a just, you know, good, gifted, honorable leader, don't we? Someone who can be worthy of the office. We do know that there is something about leadership and kings and rulers that are good for this world. And what the Bible would say is that that longing is actually a very good longing, but it will only be fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Is Jesus a political leader? Not in the sense that he's running for president, but one day he will rule this world. The Lord reigns. And the God who is revealed to us in Jesus, who when he came into this world didn't grasp for power or take advantage of his influence, but instead laid his life down for, in the service of humanity. The king who opens his arms and lays his life down and raises from the dead says that one day I will return to this world and I will set the world to rights. And so Peter says, don't put your hope in this world. We are people, he says in chapter one, we, who have a living hope, a living hope beyond the walls in the world. And we could bring this forward and we could live uh, in light of this, but we should never expect that kingdom to come through human influence. It comes through intervention of God. So these are the two points today. Uh, there's so many other things that you're probably thinking we could talk about, but as we move towards the election, as we kind of navigate this fine line, avoid these two extremes, political complacency, engage, get involved, it matters. Political idolatry, it shouldn't matter too much. Don't put all your hopes in a political candidate. Don't give your ultimate allegiance to any political party or ideology except Jesus. Let me just end with three words. Uh, I was thinking about how we could maybe engage. How should we engage as we move towards the election? I want you to think about humble, hopeful, and engaged. Humble, hopeful, and engaged. Humble, meaning, you know what? I... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn. I'm going to learn about the other side. I'm going to learn about issues. I'm going to educate myself. I don't know everything. I'm going to have some conversations with people that maybe I don't agree with or I, that are not part of my normal political affiliation. I'm going to try to understand. And I'm going to get involved. I'm going to ask questions. Maybe go talk to the, governor, the mayor and say, hey, what, what do you care about? What problems do you see? Humble. Just like Jesus, you're here to serve the world and care for the world and not grasp for power. I want you to think about hopeful. Just like we were saying, there is a God who will rule this world. He's a, he's a perfect ruler. His name is Jesus. One day he will come. He's going to make everything right. So don't be too depressed. As you look around and, and you just, man, it can be depressing. Don't be too depressed because God reigns in Jesus. And he is going to come again. And we can work from a place of victory. We can work from a place of optimism because of what Jesus is going to do in the future. And then finally, I want you to engage. Don't withdraw. Don't drop out. Don't turn inward. Look outward. Pray for the peace of the city. Ask yourself the question, you know, how can I, how can I be involved? How can I flex my civic muscles? How can I, should I serve at our Father's table? Maybe that's what God's calling me to do. Or maybe I work in the education system and God wants me to work for peace and shalom in that arena. Or maybe, you know, I am involved in politics or whatever. Just ask yourself the question, what can I bring to the civic arena? 
How can I be engaged? What can I do? How can I make a difference? Well, let's stand together as God's people and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that you have given us this passage and given us wisdom about how we can engage um, politically and civically. And, and, and God, I pray that most of all, we as Christians, that the way we engage this coming election, the way we handle ourselves this year might be compelling. God, I think about the book, uh, talked about, you know, young people leaving the Christian faith because we're too political. Lord, I pray that we would be political in the best possible way. That when people see us uh, caring about issues, but also respecting candidates that disagree with us, when they see us engaging hopefully and ironically and respectfully, when they see us involved caring not about our own agenda, but, but for the common good, Lord, I pray that we would be a picture, a foretaste of your good, peaceable kingdom. Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come, that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray this in Jesus' name.